Yeah. 15 minutes it is after 7 p.m. We kick things off straight in the markets in our wrap of the top business stories. Joined on the line from 27 for Investment Managers uh, to uh, help us uh, take a look at the big stories out in the world of business by Kanyusile Malebe. Kanyusile, good evening and welcome. Good evening, Ayabunga and to your listeners. How are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you? I'm well too, thanks. Now, now maybe, it's, I mean, I guess uh, one of the things that um, are quite are, are quite interesting uh, for me uh, today is uh, before we even get into some of the more you know dense company type news, uh, and we'll get to comment and the numbers coming through from Multi Choice, Paul Pogba. Um, now, I guess uh, many people might say, "Yeah, why are we talking about Paul Pogba? The sports show say Pele." No, no, no. Paul Pogba uh, seemingly has made a lot of money from uh, the uh, game of football. And uh, now considering investing some of that uh, in startups in the world of Islamic finance. Let's maybe start off there. What is Islamic finance and what distinguishes it from uh, typical traditional commercial finance? Um, and uh, yeah, what, what are some of the nature of the investments that Paul Pogba now has made and probably trying to uh, make uh, some life for himself in the world of enterprise and business uh, post his playing career? Yes, so... Starting with Islamic finance. So Islamic finance um, is booming worldwide. Um, the industry is now at $2.7 trillion. Um, and, and that's according to the 2021 August report by the Islamic Financial Services Board. So um, there are companies um, that, or funds rather, like Wahed, that aim to uh, let customers invest in line with their faith, uh, for instance, by avoiding companies that earn profits from lending or gambling or alcohol or tobacco. So um, it's uh, targeting younger investors, um, and, and Pogba is one of the uh, younger investors that has been targeted by the, 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 the company, which is founded by Junaid Wahidna. And... Um, just this, this climate finance is such a growing industry. I even in South Africa, I think you would know that 274 has Sharia funds that mm. are quite growing massively, and there's a growing market for those um, recently. And even in the land in in London or the UK, um, Sharia funds are growing in a very massive way. So um, yeah, that's that's all about Islamic finance. So Pogma as a Muslim. Uh, millionaire. Uh, he hopes that he'll be able to inve- uh, to inspire others from disadvantaged backgrounds to manage their money better at a time where sta- startups that are run by non-white funders often struggle to find support. So um, he is um, supporting um, such startups uh, in hopes to inspire other people. And I guess, I mean, this is always interesting when, when we find, you know, sports people um, of this kind, uh, you know, multi-million dollar, uh, you know, uh, massive people. We hear about the deals they get into as they move from one club to the next. And I always wonder where some of that money is spent. And he says he's kind of also learned his own lessons insofar as uh, how quickly, you know, what might seem like a lot of money can seem like and how quickly one can spend it. Yes, that's true. So one of the lessons that he learned um, is coming from last year during his partnership with a crypto uh, platform named Crypto Dragons NFT. 
and um, he was promoting this project on social media, calling himself the father of dragons. And at the time, the digital asset was so it was selling for 35 Ethereum, or just over $160,000 at the time. And now the sales of that um, crypto platform are at the lower tens of dollars. So um, that, that declined in a very, very uh, huge way. And as you know, crypto is very risky. Um, last, last month in May, we heard about the Luna and Terra crash that happened in the crypto industry. So mm. he lent... Um, he learned his lessons in a, in, a, in a very harsh way, but there are still some football players that are invested in crypto and they see value in crypto, interestingly. And another lesson that Pogba learned, actually, is when he... Um, so after um, he, he defeated uh, France, uh, after he defeated France um, when, when they had the extra time in, Portu- in Portugal uh, during the Euro 2016 final... Um, he decided to thank himself by taking a trip to Miami, um, mm. and and he went to you know restaurants. He took private jets, and he realized that he spent about one hundred and seven thousand um, dollars. And he says he was very shocked, you know, after realizing that he spent so much money. And he said from that on, he will stop uh, doing that, and he will now spend his money in a very responsible way. Well, I guess only time will tell, um, you know, what comes of the investments, not only whether or not he'll spend the money in a more responsible fashion, but I guess what uh, yields and uh, returns might come from those investments. Uh, But let's shift away, I guess, from the world of football and uh, head out uh, to, or maybe stay in the world of football. Multi-Choice put out uh, some numbers, and it seems, uh, you know, uh, the return of big events, uh, including the British and Irish Lions Tour, uh, the Euro, as you uh, indicated there, uh, 2020, and also uh, the Tokyo Olympics, uh, giving somewhat of a boon uh, to uh, the uh, top-line numbers there, but also, I guess, increasing the costs of content, uh, 13% organic growth there. What do you make of these numbers and, I guess, the importance not just of advertising uh, revenue for them, but also, I guess, uh, the uh, path of uh, subscription growth? Yeah, so the, the subscription growth um, is actually quite a, uh, an important number when it comes to the business of multi-choice. Um, so uh, they they reported uh, today in their performance results that they had an increase of 5% year-on-year subscribers. Um, and they're saying, so the rest of Africa had an increase of 7% year-on-year. So the 5% was was for the South African business, and the rest of Africa had a 7% year-on-year increase. So they had more increases um, in the rest of Africa with uh, 12.8 million household um, subscribers in the rest of Africa, while they had 9 million household subscribers in South Africa. And that makes up the total... 21.8 21.8 million of subscribers that MultiJoys has today. Um, and that, that has led to an organic growth of 7% in revenues. And um, the group revenues overall increased by 3%, including um, new additional um, acquisitions that were made. So an example of um, um, uh, an acquisition was the Kingmakers. 
where uh, multi-choice decided to increase its stake in cane makers from 20% to 49.23%. Um, and that will um, continue to, to um, channel future growth prospects of, of multi-choice. Um, yeah, and also that led to an increase in earnings and they had like a free cash flow of 5.5 billion rand and they had a cash conversion ratio of 92%. So they they managed to convert most of their earnings into cash, which is really good. And that also enabled them to pay um, um, a dividend of 2.5 billion to multi-choice shareholders and Putuma Nati shareholders got 1.5 billion, which is really impressive because that um, also represents a dividend yield of 4%. And then, I mean, if you, if you look at um, some of the new areas they've gone into, streaming platforms, on-demand type stuff, um, any indicative sense in this set of numbers of how those have performed? Uh, well, they, they just indicated a growth in customers, uh, especially coming from um, their partnership with Disney, Disney Plus in South Africa. Um, as it extends um, the group's aggregation strategy and it brings customers access to addressing all their entertainment needs in one central place. Um, There's also growth uh, in customers for the DSTV internet that was launched in September. Um, So it's seeing um, growth in um, accelerated growth rates, actually. And there's also the DSTV rewards program, uh, which which supports the retention of customers, and it has been successfully um, reducing dormancy. So it is in good traction so far, and um, it is approaching a million customers after just 18 months. Mm. So they, uh, they, they are getting um, some growth from those initiatives. How have the rest of, how have the rest of Africa operation worked? So the rest of Africa operation um, did well. It actually benefited from the local content such as Big Brother, Niger, as well as live sporting events. So it grew its 90-day active sub- subscriber base by 9 million to um, by 9 million to 12.8 million. So the the only problem is that because of the stronger rand we had. Um, uh, that affected the contribution of the rest of Africa business uh, into the group's revenue because, um, uh, as you know, when there, there was a translation in currency, that resulted in a, a lower revenue growth. And then if we are to shift, I guess, from our TV sets and uh, head out to a, a private hospital group, uh, maybe clinic, it seems... Uh, one of their biggest shareholders here, uh, Remgro, uh, alongside SAS Shipping, looking to uh, up their stake and buy up all of the ordinary share capital of this particular business. What's the background to this particular deal, and uh, what has accounted for uh, this flat rejection on the part of uh, the uh, board of Medicaid? Um, so the consortium comprising of Remgro and SAS um, have proposed um, an offer to Mediclinic, as you indicated, Ayabonga, to purchase the uh, 100% shareholding of Mediclinic on the 26th of May, 2022. So, Rembro is proposing to um, acquire Mediclinic at a price of 46, 463 pence per share. Um, 
and it also did announce that it should, by the 7th of June, indicate have a firm indication of whether it is intending to make an offer to MediClinic um, or it is not going to make an offer to MediClinic. Um, so uh, MediClinic responded to the news released by the consortium and they said um, they are declining the proposal on the basis that uh, MediClinic believes that the consortium is undervaluing the company and its future prospects and also um, it's, it's also made clear that there is no offer that is being made to the consortium for it to acquire the rest of MediClinic, and it's not even intending to make an offer. Um, and the consortium was also um, just looking at, uh, was, was not only undervaluing the company on the basis of the plans per share, but also it was looking at the final dividends that were declared by many clinics that will be paid out in August 2022. And it was saying that um, it will acquire the business um, at at the, the 460 pence per share and it will also get the 3 pence per share that was declared, declared by MediClinic on top of that. Yeah, and I guess some interesting background to this particular firm, as I, as I said when we opened the show. I mean, um, you know, I found out earlier on today that uh, they, MediClinic had been formed in the 1980s as an outcome of a research project that had been undertaken for the then Rembrandt Group. I think Rembro effectively ended up becoming that in the end mm-hmm. uh, by one Dr. Herzog of sort. Now, um, I mean, that just goes to show, I guess, how central the Rembrandt and later Remgro group has been to the evolution mm. of uh, MediClinic. Of course, they're one of the largest shareholders now. Uh, mm. Over 45% or somewhere about uh, is their stake. Um, what's in it for them? I mean, what, why at this stage would they want uh, all-in cash deal that gives them effectively 100% of this company? Well, like as many clinic indicated that they are being undervalued, I'm sure Remgro saw that there is um, future growth prospects that are very um, enticing in MediClinic. And as you know, I think MediClinic reported um, along with other healthcare hospitals such as healthcare as well as Medicare, they reported their earnings. And MediClinic uh, stood out um, compared to Medicare and Life Healthcare in terms of their results. Um, they did realize an increase in patients, and they also um, uh, indicated that there is some expansion going on in the business. So uh, I'm suspecting that Rembro is hoping to benefit from those future prospects in a bigger stake uh, of 100% rather than the current 45% they have. Of course, I mean, I guess with the elective surgeries back up again after COVID-19, that's where the big money spinners are. That's where the, you know, the money for them comes in. Absolutely. Then maybe just, I guess, the, the other question that I'm quite interested in on, on this score is that we saw two SENS announcements coming in. The one came from, you know, uh, MediClinic and the other from Remgro, both indicating that, you know, there's probably just less than a month now through to 7 July for a new revised offer to come in or an indication that no offer has been made? Yes. Um, so I, I'm guessing there will be engagements between the MediClinic board as well as Rem Grow and Seth um, to further uh, 
make sure that all the what's going on right now will come down and they all reach a conclusion of whether or not Mediclinic will be acquired by Remgro. Um, and and um, they will probably continue to inform investors as they have engagements. And then maybe just, uh, you know, on this one before we let it go and uh, take a look, uh, I guess, at some of the uh, other stories, which is a big story, of course, being that uh, failed business rescue uh, uh, process out at Comair. Um, just for the purposes of some of our listeners, I mean, this deal is at 463 pence per share. Uh, so let's maybe talk about why it's denominated in that. Uh, but I guess the other element is... Um, uh, you know, some of the operations that Remgro would have in markets, out, or Mediclinic, I should say, in markets outside of South Africa. Yes. So, um, so, so Mediclinic has um, markets outside of South Africa in the European area. Um, and as you know, I think they, they've now changed their reporting, um, the way they report their results. So they use a different currency, and that's the South African uh, rand. Um, so the this, this nature of this deal um, is to also make sure that it compensates for the to- for for the holding of um, of Mediclinic, uh, and and it, it does also cater for the different currency that Mediclinic uses for its reporting standards. And then comment. <laughs> it's rough. So yeah. So Comair, um, Comair was under a business rescue for the past two years after it couldn't pay its billions of debt. Um, and Comair accounts for forty percent of the airline capacity. So that's a, this is a big deal. And um, last week it did announce. Um, the suspension of flights in Kulula as well as British Airways. Um, so we heard today from the business rescue practitioner that it has moved the company from business rescue to business liquidation. And uh, this is due to um, the failure of the company to raise funds as agreed with the business, practi- the business rescue practitioners. Um, so... Uh, there has been a liquidation application that was um, submitted, and on the 14th of June, which is next week, uh, the meta will be heard um, because it is an urgent meta, and uh, there, there are certain setbacks that Comair faced that led to this business liquidation. Um, so it was the, the operations of Comair were decimated by the pandemic. And uh, another factor that added to that was the disastrous order of the um, Boeing 737 MAX planes. So Comair paid $45 million deposits for eight planes, and only one was delivered um, because there was a worldwide grounding of planes that was declared during March 2019 and December 2020. So Comair is still going through... um, court proceedings with regards to the purchase of these eight planes um, and they're trying to resolve whether the rest should be delivered or should they get refunded in, in, in that regard. 
And another thing is that there was a five-day suspension that happened um, with regards to ComS flights because um, the, the regulator, uh, the civil, the FA Civil Aviation Authority in March um, called a series of incidents, um, including issues with landing gear indicator on one of the flights. So that also um, did cause a cash crunch in the operations of ComA. And, um, yeah, so this will really have a bad impact on the employees of the company, um, the shareholders, uh, creditors, everyone who's involved in this uh, company. And then, I mean, I guess... My other question would be, you know, if if you look at this entity, I mean, uh, we saw just before they grounded their planes that they had a 30% special just before then. If any of our listeners took that up, it seems that uh, they're no longer now customers of Comair, but effectively creditors. Yes. So, they, yeah, they will, they will be refunded um, but as, as, as creditors now. So while the liquidation process will go on after it gets approval, then they will be they will be regarded as creditors who get paid back um, just before the ordinary shareholders. And and then I guess for some of the workers here who might have medical aid, pension fund contributions, and so on. Yes. So um, the the company has um, has heard the solidarity plea to sort out the medical aid, and the best they could do is pay the June fees. And the employees will have to pay for their medical aid uh, from 1 July. So that's uh, the news that they said that came out. Um, and unfortunately, the employees will have to bear the expenses themselves. Can you sell it? We'll have to leave it there for tonight. Always a pleasure catching up with you. And thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Ayabonga. But there was Kanyisila Malebe joining us. Uh, she's an analyst out at 274 Investment Managers, joining us for our wrap of the top business.